He definitely has made waves wherever he has gone. That is Kyrie Irving. There is no one quite like him. And man, what an otherworldly talent on the basketball court. An offensive talent. I mean, we see him, and when he wants to play, we are dazzled by him. He can still shake and bake and move and groove, and he can light it up on any given night. The challenge is knowing when he wants to and when he doesn't, because when he doesn't, well, you're just SOL if you're his team or his teammates. So, yeah, that's the two extremes of Kyrie Irving. And fairly soon, we'll become the Mavericks challenge, or maybe not. Maybe because he knows that a lot of the NBA attention around him is negative, he's going to be motivated. He wants a max deal. He doesn't want an incentive-laden deal. He doesn't want to feel like he has to prove himself himself still. So we know the market was tepid for him going back to last summer. Ultimately, he had to pick up the option on his deal because there wasn't another team out there that was willing to trade for him outside of the Lakers, and the Nets didn't like what they were hearing from them or what would come back the other direction. So if he wants there to be a healthy market and he wants a max deal, whether it's in Dallas or somewhere else, he is motivated now to play. And this is essentially an opportunity for Kyrie to reset with the world watching. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Maybe a fresh start is exactly what he needs. You can find me on Twitter, A-Law Radio. Also on our Facebook page, After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Coming up, Derek Carr gets his swan song in Vegas, courtesy of Peyton Manning. So we will talk a little football and uh, look at the other happenings around the sports world, even as we kick off Super Bowl week. But right now, we're pleased to welcome Brian Lewis. Uh, Pretty nutty weekend covering everything that happened from Friday's trade request until the trade on Sunday. Brian, uh, I know that it feels like we only talk to you when everything's blowing up. (laughs) So I appreciate your time. But looking at how quickly this happened, what's your reaction to just a few days and Man, it's it's done. Listen, I had no idea when the shoe was going to drop. I really didn't know. I think a lot of people expected that the shoe would eventually drop. Uh, I thought it might be a little deeper into the process. But once Kyrie made his trade demand, I mean, the turnaround was exceptionally quick to have a deal done already. Right. And frankly, not a bad deal. Well, I'm glad that you say that. How do you like the return from the Mavericks for the Nets? Uh, Some familiar faces. And honestly, I I think I'm a little surprised at what they're willing to give up with no guarantee of a future. Right. Well, I mean, I think the Lakers were obviously a team that had interest and there was mutual interest. Uh, But understandably, uh, one could see why... Uh, and this is 
based partly on Mark Stein's reporting, but one could see why the Nets might not have been in a hurry to send him to his preferred destination. Phoenix is obviously a possibility. But when you look at what the return is, you get a starting point guard that you can slot into the backcourt right with Ben Simmons. Mm -hmm. And a guy who can be a playmaker at the end, a secondary playmaker at the end of games, because the way Ben shoots free throws, it's, it's challenging to have him in in the last two minutes of games. And you have a valuable rotation piece, and you have three picks, one of which is a first rounder. Now, it wouldn't shock me if the Nets turn around and repackage some of these picks to get a veteran, uh, let's say, more in the win-now mode. But all things considered, I think the return was fairly solid. Spencer Dinwiddie is back with Brooklyn, obviously spent the more than half of his career uh, with the Nets, though it's been a bit of a journey since he uh, since he was shipped out. How many months ago was it? I mean, I feel like we could measure it in months. I agree. I mean, listen, Dinwiddie's, Dinwiddie's a guy that leaves, left a good impression. He left on good terms. Um, and this is also a guy who essentially built his NBA career here. You look at um, you look at Dinwiddie and Joe Harris as the epitome of their player development that they like to tout. Now, obviously, they went in a little different route when you're talking about KD and Kyrie, but this is initially how they started this rebuild, and mm-hmm. he's the prime example of it. And by now, he listen, he was having a borderline All Star season in Dallas. Yes, as Luca's running mate. That's a valuable piece that's coming back. And a piece that's under contract also. Nearly 18 points per game uh, to go along with five assists. And as you say, he's become a a player that you know around the league is someone who can heat up, who can score, who can be another option. I guess I'm wondering if he has any hard feelings toward the Nets for being one of the pieces that they felt was expendable. I guess we'll find out when he gets here. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he seemed, at least the, in the opportunities that we've had to talk with him, to understand that. I think he didn't like some of the things that were said in Washington on his way out of D.C. But I think for the most part, his memories in Brooklyn were pretty good. Brian Lewis is with us once again from the New York Post. It seems like every time there's another dramatic turn with the Nets, we have you on the show. So I kind of apologize for that. We really do enjoy uh, your insights. Doesn't necessarily have to be over all the drama. Yes, that's how it's been for the last few years with the Nets. Oh, that's how they do. (laughs) It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. What would you say is the high point of Kyrie's tenure with the Nets? Goodness. That's a fine question. I mean, listen, this is about winning championships. So the closest they came to winning a championship, obviously, was that second round Milwaukee series, Mm -hmm. where I still truly believe if either Kyrie or Hart gets through that series healthy, they they win a title. I really believe that. But as it turns out, that's that's a second-round exit where he gets severely injured. Uh, I suppose that's probably a high point. Now, 
individually, obviously, we saw Kyrie have huge games. We've seen him have 40-point games, 50-point games. That's a separate issue. Uh, But from a team perspective, I guess that's the high point. In your opinion, Brian, knowing that Kyrie played 143 out of a possible 278 games, and then also considering that he and KD didn't even play 75 games together, and that was, I guess, originally the plan, and everything that happened after that to this point, was it worth it? I'd say so, yeah. Well, I would say so because I don't think you're getting Kevin Durant here without getting Kyrie here. That's the crux of the matter. You can't get one without the other. Well, you probably could have gotten Kyrie without Kevin, but you couldn't get Kevin without (laughs) Kyrie. So that becomes mandatory, right? Now the question is, all right, is signing both of them worth it? And again, I would say yes, because the Nets roster at the beginning of that season was essentially the envy of the league. And I'll say that because... And I understand that Kevin was a signing trade. But essentially, you are taking those two into cap space. And you still have an incredibly deep team around them. only thing you lost was D'Angelo Russell. Right? Mm-hmm. So that team, yes. Anytime you have a chance to go for a title and to give yourself a reasonable opportunity to win a championship, I say you have to go for it. And as much fun as the... Harris Levert team was with D'Lo. That team had a ceiling, and that ceiling was not a championship. So if the object is to win, then I'd say, yes, it was worth it. Where I have maintained from the beginning is that where it went wrong was trading for Harden. Oh, yes. That, I think, was a bridge too far. And unfortunately, I think that all started, we can trace that back to when Spencer Dinwiddie got hurt. The beginning of that season, that team, as it was constructed, I think could have won a championship. But when Spencer gets hurt, eventually you go and you chase and you go big game hunting and big name hunting and they trade for Harden and you gut that depth. Mm. And it sent them down the path where now you have to make a trade and you brought in Ben Simmons. And then it just starts snowballing. That's where it went wrong. But I say going out and getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as free agents, essentially, that's worth it. That's worth taking your shot at. Brian Lewis covers the Nets in the NBA for the New York Post with us here after hours on CBS Sports Radio as Kyrie Irving gets his wish this time and is headed to Dallas, or maybe not his whole wish. What does the Kyrie trade mean for Kevin Durant, Brian? Well, I think that's the question everybody wants to know. That's the, <laughs> that's the million-dollar question. Oh, yes. Uh, hell, maybe the half-million-dollar question. <laughs> Um, most teams, if not all, are probably checking right now with the Nets or with KD or with Rich Kleinman or anybody that they can get any intel from to see where KD's headspace is. I don't have an answer to that. I don't think very many people have an answer to that at this point. But that's what any responsible organization with any kind of championship hopes 
would be doing. I'm, I have no doubt that Phoenix is doing that. I have no doubt that others that are hoping to rekindle their efforts to get KD, they're doing that now. And that's also another reason why I think it probably could be in the offing for the Nets to repackage some of these draft assets with a player or two and bring in an impact player before the deadline. If for no other reason than to convince KD, we're still going to be relevant. We're still going to be taking our shot and hanging up a banner. And most important, yes, we're still a team you should be willing to play for. So in your opinion, the Nets are not looking to get rid of him. They're hoping that's not a domino that falls. Oh, I don't think it's the Nets' intent to trade KD any more than I thought it was their intent to trade him in the summer. There are some times when, yes, a team says, I need to part with this player, either because he has a bad attitude or because you look and you say, we are not where we need to be in the win column, so this is going to accelerate our rebuild. But this is not a Herschel Walker from the Cowboys to Minnesota situation. (laughs) They never wanted to get rid of Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant had four years left on his contract. That's why he's still here. And now Kevin Durant has, whatever, three and a half years left on his contract. (laughs) I don't think they have any intention to get rid of him unless they're absolutely forced to. Now, I think what they need to do is make sure that he and they are on the same page and show him and convince him that they can still be championship caliber. I'm not certain that this roster is championship caliber. It was championship caliber before. That doesn't mean that they were guaranteed to win anything, Mm -hmm. as we've seen. But they were a contender. I think their odds, as an example, they might have had the fourth best odds. I'm not really a gambling man, but I think they were about the fourth best odds to win the championship. Now they plummeted to about 10th. Mm. And I'm saying I think it would be wise to rejigger the roster again and move some of these assets to bring in a reasonable impact player to A, placate KD, and B, put yourself in a better position to contend. Because the NBA is open. It's wide open. It is. Years they say they want parity. Well, they finally have it. (laughs) It's interesting that you use the word placate, though. Like it's been the last couple of years, their focus is going to be on keeping the star, in this case there's just one left, the star happy. I hope that aligns with them doing the right thing for their franchise, but it hasn't for the last couple of years, Brian. That's true. Uh, it has not worked out. But you're not placating two people. You're now talking <laughs> about one person. And you are talking about one person that, when he is healthy, shows up every night. He does. Focus on basketball and keeping the main thing the main thing. He is obsessed with the game. And he's a much easier player to placate. Because all you have to do to placate him is make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing which is going for a championship. That's what teams should be doing. (laughs) And if you do your job, KD will be happy. Mm. That's a pretty simple ask. 
Just do your job. It's a novel idea, is it not? And yet it doesn't always apply in the NBA. The listener reached out to me and said, I wonder what Steve Nash is thinking. I do not know. Uh, I do not know what Steve is thinking right now. I I, I wish I did. Mm. Fly on the wall. No doubt. Uh, Jacques Vaughn certainly has commanded the respect of this locker room, and I, I think the NBA as well, for what he's been able to do stepping into a, a situation that many would find untenable. What have you seen from him pushing this team forward and getting them pointed in the right direction? To be cliche, he has everybody at least pointing in the same direction. (laughs) He's kept them focused on basketball and keeping that the main thing. He's essentially rid the locker room of any excuses or alibis for why they didn't win or why they didn't show up focused why their heads weren't right. He hasn't given them any opportunities for self-pity or distractions or anything like that. That's one reason why when you know KD gets hurt last year and they go 5 of 16. They go 5 and 16. So they lose 16 out of the 21 straight games that he missed. This time KD gets hurt. Now granted, they come composition of the team is a little different. They lost their first three games. But since then, they've played winning basketball. And the difference is he has managed to have a workmanlike team ethos. That's something that he's managed to instill that for whatever reason, for better or worse, Steve could not seem to get through to them. All right, so we'll see what happens. KD obviously being the next big question, as you point out, and uh, he kind of plays his cards close to the vest when he wants to. Uh, Before I let you go, Brian, uh, you've covered the league a long time. It's pending, likely this week. What does it mean for LeBron to ascend to the top of the NBA's all-time scoring list soon to overtake Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Oh, I don't think anybody that watched him play ever really had a doubt about his greatness, but to see what he's done over the span of his career doesn't get in trouble, doesn't cause havoc, plays out every contract that he's had, and to see him get to this point and be about to break this record, which frankly looks unbreakable for a long time (laughs) yes it's going to be a wondrous thing for him for his family and for anybody that just enjoys basketball i'm fascinated to see exactly what their dialogue is going to be between lebron and kareem considering they hasn't always been the warmest or most cordial um i'm Fascinated to see what that looks like. Hmm. I mean, there's so many different angles to this. It's really, really going to be must-see television.
Yes, between that and the trade deadline, definitely feels as though the NBA is doing its best to hijack Super Bowl week. They're... And succeeding, I would say. <laughs> yes. And there's more to come. It's just the beginning of the week with the deadline looming in a few days. So find Brian Lewis on Twitter at New York Post underscore Lewis. Covers the Nets. He's our go-to for all of this Nets drama. Uh, and also looking at the big picture in the NBA. It's always good to catch up with you. Brian, thank you so much for making time for us. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I pose the question to Brian that I am posing to you now. Was it worth it for the Nets to bring in Kyrie and KD together? The hype, the buzz, the excitement, the possibility. They were a contender when they all played. Everything that transpired after that from James Harden, to Ben Simmons, to trade requests, to a huge deal for KD, to a coach getting hired, to a coach getting fired. Was it worth it? Especially now knowing that Kyrie is on his way to Dallas after 143 games played for the Nets and a hell of a lot of money. And yes, the big question, what happens now with KD? So you can find us on Twitter, After Hours CBS, on our Facebook page too. We'll pivot to football coming up because all eyes on Las Vegas, the Pro Bowl games, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Ray Lewis, just a cast and character, cast and crew, I should say, of hundreds Highly recognizable current and former NFL players. A fairly sizable crowd there that seemed to enjoy it. Not, not everybody spoke highly of the Pro Bowl games, but the majority seemed to be having fun. And it's kind of cool to see them relate and hang out with guys from other teams and yet really respect one another. So it was it was a fun atmosphere, it seemed like. I wasn't glued to it, but I did have it on the TV. Derek Carr getting a position of prominence, courtesy of one Peyton Manning. So a few things that stood out to me, and I'd love to hear from you too, if you appreciated the Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl games, if you watched the Pro Bowl games. But yeah, we're, we're busy. As we launch into Super Bowl week, we've got the NBA threatening to commandeer these days leading up to it. And also brand new series that we're beginning straight video it's all video and the first one is on our youtube channel installment a (laughs) exhibit a from our super six series for super bowl week it's after hours with amy lawrence on cbs sports radio you are listening to the after hours podcast Shotgun snap to Carr, walking right, fires towards the sideline, Renfro grabs it, gets away from a tackle at the five, dives towards the end zone, touchdown Raiders! I'm thankful for my time here in Las Vegas and in Oakland, um, and I'll always be thankful and grateful, but it comes a time when it's just, it's time to move on, and um, that's this time, and so um, I'm excited, can't wait to see where God takes us next, I'm, I'm going to give that city everything that I have. 
This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Now officially Queen B, Beyonce becoming the most awarded artist in Grammys history. A record 32 Grammys with the few that she won on Sunday night in Los Angeles. The one that put her over the top best dance and electronic album for this most recent record, Renaissance. Uh, And so she still has other opportunities uh, to win Grammys. Um, moving forward, she's very much in her prime, and we'll see. Uh, it's kind of fun that L.A. is seeing so much of this history this week with Bay, Beyonce, to you and I, uh, and then LeBron, Thursday. Maybe it's Tuesday, but I would say Thursday. Well, here's the thing. I wouldn't miss the Tuesday game because he's 36 points away. That is well within his repertoire, and I wonder... If the team is feeding him or he's taking more shots or just wanting to get it over with, I'm not sure. He strikes me as the kind of guy that is fine to milk the spotlight. (laughs) And so he's 36 points away with two home games. Maybe you don't want to screw around, though, because I would think he'd want to get this done in Los Angeles on Hollywood where the stars shine the brightest as opposed to then hitting the road and doing it in San Francisco. So there's two games this week in LA, and then there's one Saturday in the Bay Area against the Warriors. Two games to get 36 points. Man, that worked out perfectly. You couldn't have drawn it up any better. And no, the NBA is not rigged. So congratulations to Beyonce, and now we wait on LeBron. Oklahoma City is the game coming up on Tuesday night. It will be on national TV. In fact, both these games coming up this week are on national TV, TNT. And I believe they've been moved to 7P Pacific time starts from whatever they were. They've been moved. So 10 o'clock Eastern time, 7 o'clock Pacific, because the NBA wants to take advantage of this milestone moment. And I agree. I'm not going to miss it. And whenever it takes place, my friend Mark Kestisher, who works for ESPN Radio and will be doing the play-by-play for both of the games this week, he will join us on the show. I actually texted with Michael Duarte, who is generally our L.A. guy. Uh, NBC L.A. is his outlet. And he's always there. He never misses anything except he's in Phoenix. (laughs) And so the poor guy, he spends his life covering L.A. sports and has spent so much time covering the drama with the Lakers. And now here's this milestone moment that may never be replicated. Now, it could be. I don't know how many people thought that LeBron would catch Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, say, five years ago or ten years ago. But his durability, his longevity, his commitment to fitness, and all of those things are such a credit to him now. And here he is on the cusp of standing alone atop the mountain. Could there be another player who comes along and challenges that? Sure. But it will mean really the perfect formula. Again, with the fitness, the durability, avoiding the huge injuries, being able to withstand the pounding, and being relevant and productive and scoring at a high level for years and years to come. 
the last I knew, and I haven't checked the updated numbers, though I, I would suspect they're about in the same neighborhood, LeBron was averaging 30 points per game. So 36 is definitely not beyond the realm of possibility. And to have it done before the All-Star break would mean you're likely to get a little extra fanfare, a little extra celebration when it comes to the All-Star break. So that is on the horizon, plus the Kyrie trade and his debut Wednesday, plus Steph Curry being out for the Warriors. I'm telling you, it might be a grand conspiracy, the NBA attempting a coup during Super Bowl week. <laughs> Taking a page out of the NBA, uh, the NFL's book, actually. It's not about the money, baby. Oh, that's true. Not. <laughs> for the leagues, it's always about the money. So find me on Twitter, ALaw Radio. Also on our Facebook page. I see some of you already posting after hours with Amy Lawrence. We're asking you, if you're the Nets, do you think it was worth it? Producer Jay, you're a Nets fan, although not wearing the hat tonight. In your opinion, going back to 2019, I know you were really excited about Kyrie and KD. I remember the reaction from a few Nets fans, including you. Was it worth it now, not even four years later, about three and a half years later, knowing everything that has unfolded? I, I think it was. I kind of go back to what Brian was saying, whereas they had the team where that was, you know, they had built this core. They spent so long to build up these great pieces, and that was a chance to get over the hump, and it really was. I mean, you bring in Katie, you bring in Kyrie with that team that they had around them. Like Brian said, that was pretty much the, the roster envy of the NBA at the time. So what happened? I think the James Harden trade, and I think he nailed it when he said, when Brian I'm talking about, when he said that the Spencer did when he got hurt early in that season, they kind of panicked, and that was a big hit to the roster, and they thought, okay, we need to bring in another guard in, we need to bring in more talent, and they got ahead of themselves maybe or something. Like, because the Nets, what they had done for so long before that was develop young talent. I mean, you look at it. I mean, going of, back to Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. Well, I'm talking more in the Sean Marks era since he took over because, you know, you bring in a guy like – just even this year, like Nick Claxton and Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, these guys were not high draft picks. They were developed by the Nets and turned into pieces. And then they kind of just went away from that and decided to trade everyone and try to bring in these superstars and the Harden. I think that's really where it all went south was the Harden trade. But do I bring in KD and Kyrie additionally? I, I still do it. Even though for the first year you paid KD to sit. Yeah. And then Kyrie didn't play a ton of games that year either. Um skipped out in the bubble, and actually they played extremely well in the bubble under Jacques Vaughn. They hire Steve Nash. They fire Steve Nash. Jacques Vaughn is back. That seems like a huge trip around the mountain they didn't need to take. But, yeah, they they gave up assets for James Harden. They lose a couple of, I, I think, really nice pieces. Very. Ultimately, neither formula worked. They still have not won a championship. So you say it's worth it because of – what, just the buzz around the team for the last few years? I mean, they weren't going to win a championship, in my opinion, with the roster they had before KD and Kevin Durant. So, before KD and Kyrie. So, to bring them in at the time, I, I thought it was a good move. The Harden move was much more debatable. But to KD and Kyrie, if that's what we're talking about, I think that was a good move. Even though one of them is gone and the other one it had asked out not that long ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? It was four years ago. I, mean, it's, I didn't expect, No one expected it to go like this. Everyone thought they were going to win chip, multiple championships. That was the plan. Really, you thought that? I thought they were going to win at least one. I did when they brought the when they brought them in. It was a great looking team. It really was. 
But Kyrie has a track record. He had a history. Yeah. I, I, I know that now. I was uh, willing to look past it, and I loved his talent, and I love, I do still love watching him play basketball. But at this point, just strictly from a Nets fan, point, fan standpoint, I, I, I've had enough. It's, it's too much. It's not worth it. He's not worth it. He's, his, his headache is not worth what he brings to the court. It's not. On Twitter, A-Law Radio, or our show Twitter after hours CBS. You've heard what producer Jay has to say. He's actually a fan of the team. What about you? Do you think it was worth it knowing what we know now? Only Kevin Durant is left. They haven't won a title. One playoff series win. A lot of excitement. A lot of national TV games. A lot of money spent. And now almost starting over, except you do have KD. Was it worth it? And then also on our YouTube channel, first installment of our Super 6 video series. It's a Super Bowl edition of Ask Amy Anything. Jay and I recorded it going back a couple of days ago, and there's a cameo by a furry critter. That's all I'm going to say. Bonus points to you if you can spot the cameo from one furry critter. I didn't even know it was happening at the time, so she essentially photobombed me. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. What an exciting day. There were sled pushes. There are cool ball catches. A lot of happening stuff out there today. And you got a fullback who's probably MVP, baby. Kyle Juszczyk for the win. NFC. All right, it's official. You can't, you can't doubt it. I am the greatest coach of the Mannings. I'm, I'm so much better at coaching than Peyton's unbelievable. The NFC won. The guys bought in. They played awesome. Uh, there's too many, too many good players, and uh, to name an MVP, the whole NFC gets uh, gets MVP this year. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. First, the voice of one, George Kittle, who was in fact fired up. When is he not? Touting the format, the flag football. I sure saw a lot of tackling. Uh, but also the fact that the NFC prevailed in the final installment of the flag football game. That's George on Instagram. And then NFL Twitter. How about that? Eli Manning commandeering the NFL's Twitter account to promote himself, maybe for future head coach openings. He is now the best head coach of the Mannings. I actually found this to be entertaining. Now, I wasn't looking at it as though I needed material for the show. I wasn't taking notes. Oh, it was so nice to not have to take notes on a Sunday for the first time in a long time. I was blogging. I was writing emails. I was doing prep for Super Bowl week. I had it on in the background. And I will say this. Most of the time I was watching it without the audio. When I did turn up the volume, what I really wanted to hear were the players who were mic'd up. So Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, they had the walkie-talkies. They were the two coaches of the respective teams. And I wanted to hear how they were interacting with the players. It was clear that they had come up with plays. Very simple. For the NFC, it sounded a lot like this. B6? B4? What do you think? B8? And then they would kind of work out and flesh out the details. Now, flag football at the highest level, where it's actually a professional league, has some pretty wonky rules that I don't even know all of them. 
What I do know is that there were a lot of smiles. And I do know also that I saw a fair number of tackles. Did you guys see Tyreek Hill take a shovel pass from Devontae Adams, who is headed for the end zone, maybe would have been stopped short, was headed for the end zone, shovels it to Tyreek, who is barreling up the right sideline near him. Tyreek gets leveled by Jalen Ramsey, as in leveled. There was plenty of tackling going on here. Now, nobody got upset. Nobody took offense. They really did laugh and seem to have a good time. A lot of goofing off and jacking around, and it was fun. It was fun to see them having a good time. I also appreciated some of the skills games. I will say this. I didn't watch anything before Sunday, but I did think the the – if it was an obstacle course of sorts that had the tires and the offensive linemen pushing the cart uh, with Eli and Peyton on it, on their respective cart. They seemed like they were into it and wanting to win. And, and as I was saying earlier, you can take the football player out of the big game. You can't take big game out of the football player. They're all so ultra competitive. I also appreciated that they were not wearing pads and each guy was allowed to do what he wanted to show a little flair, whether it be headgear. Devontae Adams was out there with a a bucket hat. A couple of guys that were out there with sun hats that actually had them fixed underneath the chins, like fishing hats, you know, that you'd wear on a boat. There were guys wearing sunglasses, guys wearing chains, guys wearing... Whatever, goofy goofy footwear. They're just having a good old time. And not taking themselves too seriously, though desperately wanting to win. That you know. I actually saw Jared Goff drop of an F-bomb because I don't think he, I, what if he got picked or he missed a throw. Again, I wasn't paying that close attention. Trevor Lawrence got picked off. Jair Alexander took him deep for a pick six, and he was all kinds of mad about it. No matter what happens, that's your response. Good. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We will have some actual football, and then we'll have just goofing off football and some of the reaction from Las Vegas. But I thought this was interesting. Raiders running back Josh Jacobs apparently told The Athletic, this bleep is stupid. So he was one of the outliers who didn't like this new format. He... He later said in a tweet, send us on vacation and call it a day. But not everybody agreed with him. In fact, some guys were willing to come out and say, no way, man. Like Bill's long snapper, Reed Ferguson. I don't understand his point here. And this was also on Twitter. You earn the right to go there, collect a Pro Bowl check, and also knew what the Pro Bowl has turned into. If it's so stupid, forego the weekend in Vegas. Am I missing something? So I don't think that the majority agreed with Josh Jacobs. It certainly seemed like the majority enjoyed themselves. Mixed reaction on social from, and and I really only follow members of the media or the newsmakers themselves, the athletes, the coaches, that type of thing. But there were a fair number of tweets. It was definitely trending when it was taking place. And I think seeing some of these guys out of their natural elements is fun. I mean, 
Do I need to see NFL players tossing water balloons back and forth? Nah, it looks like a camp game. I thought it was kind of funny when they were, and I don't remember, I don't really know the crux of it. Again, I wasn't really listening. But when you had guys that were trying to catch like 17 footballs all at the same time, seeing how many footballs they could catch and hold on to, even as their arms were full, that was kind of interesting. I told you the obstacle course was fun. Oh my gosh, though, did you hear that Miles Garrett dislocated his toe? I think it was in the tire course that he dislocated his toe. So, yeah, beware. Injuries waiting to happen. That just proves how hard they were going at it. They were. They were really working hard at winning. These guys all want to win. So, coming up, a little bit of their reaction. But it wasn't just reaction about the game, right? It was also actual football business. Derek Carr, courtesy of Peyton Manning, got to be the last quarterback who played for the AFC. His teammates speaking up about him being shipped out of Vegas. It's After Hours, CBS Sports Radio.